Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Greg of the band Pigeons Playing Ping Pong over Zoom video. Greg talks about where he was born and raised and how he got into music. Actually, he didn't really start playing music until he got into college, and that's where he met the rest of Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. They met while uh, attending college in Baltimore. Started off as just kind of a fun project. They would write songs and uh, kind of hang out in their dorm. And this eventually led them to starting kind of a full band and releasing their first album, which was titled Funk EP. But there's a space between the E and the P. So it's like a play on words slash play on words and play on words. Uh, Greg tells you the whole story. It's really interesting. We hear all about that record and kind of the success of the band into psychology, pleasure, pizzazz, uh, presto, and then all about this brand new record, which is called Perspective. So all the records with P. And he has some amazing art on his wall of, of pigeons as well. So uh, Greg will show you those. And we hear about the huge show they have at Red Rocks coming up as well. You can watch the interview with Greg on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with pigeons playing ping pong. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, our podcast is about you, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record coming out. Awesome. I am down to talk about all of it. Amazing. The record's out on Friday, right? I mean, it's coming yeah. out. Yeah, it's coming out uh, April 8th, and um, I'm really pumped, man. I mean, every every album we try to you know, improve from the last, and we play a lot of live shows, and, and mm. it's it's always a, a fun challenge to try to bottle up that live energy in a slightly more concise and directed uh, approach in the studio. So it was cool to take some of those like classic live bangers and, and kind of hone it in into a crisp, like concise studio version. And yeah, I think it, I think it came out great. I'm, I'm proud of it. Amazing. I love the three. I think you got three records out off of the new album, right? Uh, it's confusing. So we released one single, um, at the end of last year, but we didn't mention anything about a new album. So technically okay. there have been four. That first one was, uh, oh. it, it was Indiglo featuring Zach Gill from ALO, who, which is just, he's just an incredible musician. It was our first time collaborating with him. And um, that was another cool thing about this album because the pandemic caused us to all to be home. Uh, it wasn't just my band that was home, but it was a bunch mm -hmm. of band friends that were home. So we were able to call Zach and have him sit in. And we had uh, Jason Hahn from String Cheese Incident play on a track, move like that, and uh, a great horn section too on some tracks. So it, it was it was a unique time to be recording because everyone was available to <laughs> right <jump. laughs> okay so i was i thought elefante was the first one that was going to be on the record but it sounds like there's four out now amazing it was confusing because the, the elefante i think was the first uh single out of the bag once we announced that an album was coming so okay <laughs> I, i'm part of the band and i was confused too but, okay uh, yeah we, we we just been uh 
putting tracks out and and the the whole thing i think really flows nicely together um that's one thing that we always focus on it's almost like putting together a set list mm-hmm. we want the, the tracks to have like natural peaks and valleys as they go through the record so it's kind of one you know big album which is kind of funny because nowadays with Spotify and like, you know, everyone can kind of choose songs a la carte more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a question if like people still listen to albums top to bottom, you know, first track to last track. We like to think that they do. And either I think way, they do, like, you know, creating that, but uh, creating that flow. But back, you know, you know, there were a couple of albums where streaming wasn't the biggest thing in the world uh, mm-hmm. when we released them. And it, it seemed more important then than it does now to have each track flow into each other but we still do it i love that though i'm to be honest i mean there's something about putting a record on and listening to it all the way through and and i've had this conversation before where it's like you obviously chose you know song three or song seven to be where it is because uh, of a reason it wasn't like you're just throwing paint at the wall like okay this one should go number one and three and five i mean it's i'm sure you guys spent a ton of time listening to all the songs and figuring out the exact placement of each and every song on the record. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's why I think I'm not alone in this, where between listening to different mixes and, and listening back for adding parts and then listening for the order of the songs, like over and over and over, once mm-hmm. the album's out, like I need a lot of time away from it before I listen <laughs> to it again, if, I, if ever again. Like we've sure. just heard so many times. Um, I love it, but you know, I'll listen to other people's stuff for, for a little while. Is it one of those things where you'll listen back and be like, ah, you know, I want to say I would have went back and did like, not, not like regret, but like thinking even more, you know, creatively on some song like, oh, we could have done this or this or this. Adam, that's a slippery slope, my man. That's just, just, you know, like we rabbit hole. You don't want to jump down. (laughs) I mean, knowing that could be the case, we really like, comb through every song and we you know before we're in the studio we're working on the arrangements and we record all of our practices regardless just to oh wow you know um yeah that's been really helpful over the years um so we listen back and that way once we're in the studio we're already feeling pretty confident that we know maybe it's a little crisper in the studio with the gear they have but we we have a good feeling that uh we know what to do. Um, the other cool thing about this album compared to some of our others, and I, this probably goes for all the bands who have been recording, is that uh, we actually had time to just focus on this record. Normally, we carve out a few weeks in mm-hmm. between very busy touring schedules, and it you know it's not long before we're right back on tour, and we don't you know we have to then schedule time to listen to the mixes and then you know, in between shows, go back and do some solos and stuff. This time with the pandemic and the lockdown, we had nothing on our plate, but uh, this record and a few mm-hmm. live streams and stuff mm-hmm. um, and figuring out what the hell was going on. Um, sure. <laughs> we, were, we were afforded with like supreme focus. And I think like you'll hear it in the details on each song. Like one of our songs, we had a string section for the first time ever. Wow. Um, and that's not something that like we've done before and, mm-hmm. you know, have even thought to really do. But we were, you know, listening to a track and we're like, this needs something. And normally maybe we'll add horns to something. We'll like, maybe add some light keyboard because we don't have a key player or a piano pianist in the group. Um, and strings felt right. And it was so exciting to 
like I couldn't wait to hear what they came up with and and then like molding it from there. It was a fun experience. Amazing. Amazing. I know it's like uh, having that much time on your hands. That's all. I mean, I'm sure it's just okay. We can have nothing but time. So let's let's just go crazy on this record. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we got it right. I mean, we put a lot of care into it and it was fun. And, you know, similarly, like I sing and you know, sometimes I, you know, I know I have like three days across a few days with, with some rest in between to record all the vocals. And this time, like if my vocals started to like fray a little bit, we're like, Hey, just get some rest, come back in a couple of days. Like we weren't against the clock, like we normally sure. have, which made it a much more enjoyable, relaxed experience, which hopefully again, translates to the music. Like I'm, I'm proud of it. That's awesome. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, speaking of like confusing you, uh, you know, you said you've released a song and then it was like, now we have an album and here's the single and now there's four out. Uh, the first record you guys released you, there, that caused a little confusion with the, the title. And I want to get into that. But f- first of all, the band, you guys started in Baltimore, correct? Yeah, we met at the University of Maryland. I okay. met, I met the, the guitarist literally on the first day of college. Uh, oh, we were- wow. We were on the same floor freshman year and ended up jamming the first day just to like make friends and mm-hmm. it start and it was fun and, and that's where the band is rooted from is like just like friends getting together having fun playing you know we would go out at night and come back and jam in the dorm room and make our friends laugh around us mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully the music's gotten a little more serious uh, over the years <laughs> but it still stems from that like camaraderie and like this is just what like we naturally wanted to do and i'm blessed to call it my job you know yeah where did you originally grow up was it in baltimore no so the guitarist and bassist are from baltimore i grew up on long island in new york okay and uh i um applied to a few schools mostly looking at like sports and stuff and i remember i think it was the 2002 team uh university of maryland was amazing at basketball they had juan dixon and they made a run to the you know deep into march madness so Mm -hmm. i always kept maryland in the back of my mind i looked at unc and duke and a few other of those like acc basketball schools and ended up at maryland as the only person from my high school to go there uh that year so again like my first day of school i didn't know anyone so i just took my guitar, which I had only been really playing for roughly six months, depending on how you look at it. But oh, okay. I, I always sang. Um, so I, uh, you know, I kind of met my counterpart in Jeremy, our guitarist, because he always played guitar, but never really sang. So we kind of became a good, good pairing. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, oh, you talked about basketball. Were you a basketball player or just a fan of basketball? Uh, I was more of a soccer player, but I did play basketball and baseball okay. and lacrosse and stuff. But soccer is what I played my whole like kind of childhood. Uh, but I did play basketball for fun all the time after school. And, and uh, I was uh, on the earlier side of my like grade growing up. I was one of the younger kids. So I also okay. you know, I was always a little smaller. So mm-hmm. lacrosse didn't go great, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, okay. So I played basketball a bunch, but I also, my, my best friend growing up was into like plays and musicals and his oh, actually directed the musicals for the school. So I ended up from a very, very early age doing all of the musicals in my, that my school would offer. And I think that's what, like, I didn't realize it at the time, but that has been 
humongously instrumental in like where I am today is just being on stage since I can remember. It mm-hmm. all started at the kindergarten circus when I wow, was, uh, okay. was five years old and I was the doggy in the window. <laughs> I, I'm a pretty humble guy, but I have to say I killed it. Uh, you did. The crowd Star responded. the show. <laughs> I responded, you know, I, my lines, arf, arf. I, I just, you know, I, I might've gone method with it. I was barking <laughs> all around my house and I was ready for the moment. Uh, but no, I, I really did like take to being on stage and hearing those first laughs and cheers really got me going. And between that and meeting my best friend at age six, we started doing plays and musicals from six to 17. Wow. Um, which has so always, Oh yeah. Always a singer uh, then sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. uh, I picked up the guitar for fun when I was like 14 played a little bit. I took one or maybe I was 16, 14 or 16. Yeah, I think 14 uh, took one lesson and he tried to show me like uh, Mary had a little lamb and I was, right. um, I was done with it. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't want to do that. And I eventually picked up the guitar again when I was closer to 17 uh, senior in high school, just to like learn what I wanted to learn. So I taught myself stairway to heaven as you do, wow. you know, that type of, with the help of the internet. Um, but and, still, uh, I would have went to like a three power chord, like smoke pop on the song. Water. <laughs> yeah, right, I, I exactly. Smoke, you know, smoke on the water was in the repertoire, but okay. you know, I started- uh, Let's stare away to heaven. Accompanying the vocals. And, you know, I kind of pictured, I can blame like American media for like, you know, you go to college, you have an acoustic guitar, you sing, you get the girl. Like that's like, you know, you make friends at the campfire. <laughs> sure. So I want, I, I wanted to to try that. And I was able to sing in my, my, uh, my room at home. And like I said, I've been playing for about six months when I went to college and it, you know, I didn't meet the girl, but I did meet the, uh, one of the loves of my life, Jeremy Schoen, my guitar. <laughs> there you go. I met the- my wife through the music too, but that came way later. Okay. You got the black light poster and the incense and stairway to heaven, the dorm, oh, yeah. you're ready I to go. Regular <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were doing the dorm thing, man. And then eventually we started playing like open mic nights as a duo and coffee shops and, you know, things like that. And, uh, I was so pitiful at guitar that the, those gigs would start with Jeremy doing a solo looping like guitar showcase for the first 15 minutes. And then for the last 10, I would come on and we would sing like ridiculous dorm originals. And uh, we also would do like, we started doing mashups of covers really early, which we still do now for like themed shows on Halloween and New Year's and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're a fish fan at all, one of our classic covers was No Woman, No Farmhouse. Okay. Uh, which goes great together. So we would sing Bob Marley, we'd sing mm-hmm. Fish, we would do Sublime covers and really do that dorm rock thing. And then eventually, between meeting the other guys and getting a little better and listening to more music, um, we started getting really funky. And uh, one thing that's always kind of laced through our music is that pure joy of just getting together and jamming. But now it's also all about having like danceable grooves, whether mm-hmm. it's, and it's not just funk, we'll play Island music, reggae, we'll play rock songs, but there's always like a danceable beat kind of happening uh, in different forms. But we we're always, you know, when we go to concerts, we like to move in grooves. So we mm-hmm. try to put that out on stage. Did you start like was college when you started actually like writing lyrics and writing songs or were you doing that prior to getting to school? 
I don't think I wrote a single original song until I met Jeremy and, and we okay. started putting stuff together. And for the first few years, he was writing the music. And I mean, still to this day, I, I generally write all the lyrics for the band. Uh, I do mm -hmm. ask them for opinions here and there, especially if they're singing backups or supporting lines. Um, but yeah, starting the, the, the project with Jeremy is when I started writing lyrics. And I mean, it was really casual in, in the beginning to the point where we would have the music down but the lyrics weren't quite there yet but we would still just play them live and i would make them up on the fly um uh, okay and, and like over trial and error and, and practice with that they would i would then have some set lyrics and when it came time to record the album i would have something you know ready to rock nowadays uh i i am a little more uh, or way more intentional with what i'm writing sure. before we <laughs> release it but that's because people are actually listening you right. know, when, we were, when we were playing house parties in some friend's basement, it didn't really matter what the word I was singing. It was more so about the melody and the energy. Uh, okay. Nowadays, I, I, I've learned that if we release a song, or we, we debut a song live at the next show, people are somehow already singing the lyrics, which is both really exciting and also puts a little pressure on like what I'm actually saying. Yeah, but that's huge to... to sing a song that hasn't even been recorded yet and have that resonate with people enough to they know the song the next time around or the next set or next show you do. Yeah, it, it's wild. It blows my mind. Sometimes I like am confused because some people are trying to sing along to a debut we've never played. And I'm like, are you like a mole in our organization? <laughs> <You know? laughs> was... They might catch the chorus though. The right. first time around it locks in and they're like, all right, I'm going to get it on the next one. The sign of a great chorus. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It, it really like seeing people sing our lyrics, whether they're old, older songs or new ones, it like, it just doesn't get old. It's so exciting. And, and it's, it's uh, encouraging to say the least that, you know, mm -hmm. these silly words are either resonating or they're fun to sing along to. And, and it, it reminds me like how, what an incredible opportunity we have as a band that has somehow made it from my friend's basement to some big like stages yeah. and like uh, red rocks coming up <laughs> yeah, like exactly you know it, it's really wild like again so this album is called perspective and the songs range from songs we've never we had never played live before when we released it mm -hmm. uh, to songs that we literally wrote on stage 10 years ago and i was like i was saying i was making up the words on the fly some of them made it like some of them actually did make it to the album but like the 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 track list runs the gamut of a decade of like memories for us and that's why uh, but not only for musically but obviously the last couple of years have we've all gained immense perspective it just mm -hmm. felt like the perfect name for it and that's you know i think the pandemic has granted us all an opportunity to step back and like look at the big picture in our lives and uh gain that perspective it, it all um it all added up really nicely in this time around. And it's it hard worked. to name albums. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, well, it worked with the, with the with the P theme that you have for all your records. I mean, aside from that first one. But um, so the band starts, you're doing the dorm shows, open mic nights. Uh, and when do you guys put out that first uh, album and tell me the story behind funk ep and the confusion that that caused <laughs> yeah. the, the, the things that we learn uh trial and error um well to go through it kind of quickly like i started playing with jeremy 
we um, he met our drummer in a uh, class called History of Rock. One of their oh, assignments cool. was, I think their first assignment was post in the message board on this classroom group, you know, the, the digital message board and, mm-hmm. you know, just post anything. And I think, I think my drummer might've, one of them, either my guitarist or my drummer said like looking to jam and they connected and they, we wanted to play together. And another one of my guitarist friends had a drum set in his house so the three of us, me, guitar, and uh, drums, went to jam at this house in the basement. And once we started playing, my soon-to-be bassist sauntered down the stairs, picked up his bass, because he lived at that house that we had the Oh, interesting. At. Okay. And it was actually unspoken. Like, we were jamming, and he came downstairs, picked up his bass, and joined us. Like, I guess... He knew my guitarist because they're all Maryland. We, we call Baltimore Smaltimore. Everyone kind of knows each other. <laughs> okay. they, they knew each other in passing, but um, my bassist Ben picked up the bass and all of a sudden, like, I was like, oh my God, like we're a band. Like this is mm-hmm. like, this is what I thought college was supposed to be playing in a basement or, you know, um, you know, we weren't fraternity guys, despite my interest in sports. You know, I felt like when you go to a school like that, you could join the fraternity or you could start a band. And I, that was just like my mental dichotomy. And I went there. Sure. Um, once we had a band, we started playing, uh, you know, bars locally um, to mixed reviews. We were still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started to get some chops together, started to get some songs together. And we realized we have enough to like record uh, an album and why not you know so we went over to the campus radio station um where we had played a show and and um laid down most of this album funk ep one of the songs you recorded it, that in the in the radio station studio so are there like an actual studio there as well i have a very bad memory I'll warn you, okay. I should have said this from the start. Uh, <laughs> it's all I, good, think, I think we recorded so at, at WMUC, the radio station on campus. And I know we cleaned up some of it and recorded like in our basement on the house we were living in at the time. Just, you know, uh, we just kind of threw it, th- threw it together as like a fun project. And we called it Funk EP because one of the tracks is called Funk Ezekiel. Don't ask what that means, but we, it was kind of a play on words with funk EP because we're a funky pigeon band, the P there. Um, And some of us in the band thought it would be funny because an EP is a short record, but we had enough track time that it was actually a full length album. So it was an, an additional play on words that it was off funk Ezekiel where funk EP and there's a space between E and P, so it's uh-huh. not an EP. It's 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 a play on the words funk EP and as or as an EP. And I, as it was happening, and I don't really know about EPs that much. I'm not really like an audiophile to that extent at all. At least, especially then, I was like, I think this is confusing. Like, and like, no, it's funny. Uh, I, no, I think it's like too confusing. Like, I understand there's like two play on words happening, but it's a little weird. <laughs> like, no, nah, it's like, who cares. <laughs> So here's why who cares, you know, almost 15 years later, I'm still explaining it on a podcast. (laughs) We like, so we didn't see this coming, you know, we were, you know, we're still, I hopefully we're still just living in the moment and like incredibly like both baffled and appreciative that we're playing red rocks and we've done some crazy things that we never saw coming. Um, And here I am still explaining 
that Funky P, in fact, was our first full-length album. It's not an EP, and, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's it's solid. I I, I like it. Um, I remember we speaking of track listing. We weren't sure if, if like this song should be first or this song should be first. And we had at the time we were just burning CDs, writing on like with Sharpie on them mm-hmm. and handing them out. We had printed out like a like a cover of it, um, but some of the the original burnt CDs have a different track listing than what we actually ended up with because we weren't sure. So I guess we were kind of like a B testing the track. Okay. Some some people out there might have a burnt CD with my handwriting on it with a alternate track listing. That's Uh, amazing. That because it's a burnt CD probably has a value of negative $1, but or more because you wrote on it. They are out there. Yeah. You wrote on it. I bet you, you could discogs one of those. Yeah. <laughs> someone someone in Baltimore has that and they're selling it right now on it on Discord. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, wow, okay. So that that you released that record. Well, I know you've probably asked been asked this in every interview. Um and you have pigeons behind you in in mass uh, art, which I think is rad. I love the one uh but what is that your degree above that? Yeah, I actual <laughs> proof that I'm not just a total goofball. <laughs> uh, that's my, uh, my bachelor's from maryland um and i i studied communication um with same here oh really yeah you're, you're using it right i um, guess yeah, <laughs> some I will say to be honest I, I was i actually applied early decision to unc with hopes of getting in and i, I applied to maryland kind of just as like a fail safe and uh, i did i was sure i was going to go into unc and it's a very tough school and i, I didn't get mm-hmm. in so when I went to Maryland, I didn't really have much of a plan. Uh, so I went undeclared and found myself um, gravitating toward communication, having been on stage for a million years and, you know, mm-hmm. just comfortable public speaking. But I found my way into the public uh, relations department and ended up studying PR. And oh, wow. uh, I, I was actually a TA for my news writing for PR class in college. And that those six months of being like the last line of defense for other students to like get their grammar right and to get PR like looking correct paid Mm -hmm. more dividends than the rest of my schooling at Maryland because I was our PR guy for the first eight years. So I wrote all the press releases. I still write the emails. I still edit the press releases and I'm still like grade like it's almost like i'm still grading these papers like i did in college like i'll be like oh well technically you know a song title has two quotes around it but an album has single quotes and if you're using <laughs> comma the comma goes inside the quotes for apa now the jam <laughs> does not care about this but i do you I care not, i can't not see these grammatical errors and things so you sound like my wife she gets like she's so upset if people use like you're wrong or like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah like, 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 like I'm always like, like we can't present ourselves this way, like where you know the commas wrong or the commas is a small thing, but your and the, the your differences, things like that, like you, you just appear like. I always felt like if I was, you know, pitching a news outlet, uh, a press release, and your was wrong, yeah, be like, that's it. They're not going to. I'd do be it. like, you are not getting this. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what they said to their neighbor when they didn't respond to me. Uh, <laughs> I think I could sneak a few typos in and they'll, they'll cover it. At least the yeah. outlets, but there you uh, go. <laughs> yes, that's my, that's my degree and some other, um, 
Other... What's the, where's the pigeons come from? Are you just a fan of the bird? Well, that the, I know this is a audio me- medium. So no, we... it's video too. Oh, is it we really? Did, yeah, well, we put the video up. Cool. You look great. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So we used to um, we used to have uh, stickers that my guitarist Jeremy made because he also does graphic design, which has been hugely helpful. He's yeah, still graphic design and a guy that can write press and PR. There you go. Yeah, and Jeremy also studied business. Like it all came <laughs> together. Um, but uh, he made like a knock, like a spoof of the Andy Warhol four pane. Like yeah, uh, that's what I'm gonna say. That's what it looks like. And that's a that's like a spin off of the it's not the original image, but it's close to it. That's that someone made uh, that I threw up on there. I think my wife actually put it up for me. But that's um, good. We had these little stickers. And speaking of handwritten stuff, what we would do is we would um, we would give them out for free. But if we were playing a festival, we would write our set time on the back of a sticker and then go out and just like be ourselves and make friends and mm-hmm. give them stickers and be like, hey, hope to see you at the, you know, we're up, you know, bright and early. I hope you're up on Saturday at noon on the third stage, but we'll be <laughs> right. there. And it actually worked. Like, I mean, pe- people remember those stickers. People mm-hmm. came to, you know, support us, uh, especially like if we became kind of instant friends at the festivals. And uh, that's something we did for years and years. And I encourage any band, you know, to do something similar, like go out and, you know, hit the pavement and meet people and have fun doing it and, you know, remind, you know, let them know of your show. And I I mean, we've only done this for fun and to make friends and and we have year after year from the earliest grassroots stages to playing these bigger spots. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's been a great, you know, we're social guys and it's been great to meet people and uh, you know, have fun doing it. That means so much to people too. If you go out and say, Hey, like my band is playing this festival that you're at and here's a sticker. We'd love to see you, you know, at the stage or whatever. Cause now you're making a, like you said, a connection with that person. And then once you put out your seventh record, there's the kid that's met you that one time. They're like, Oh my gosh, like look at, they can kind of watch your career build and be For stoked sure. on the fact that they're one of the first people, one of the early, you know, uh, early fans or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, the, it means so much to us when we see someone who's been there from like the beginnings or the early days or whatever. And, and mm-hmm. uh, we like to hope that like, it kind of feels like we're doing this together because we are, because those people, like if they show one friend, our music, we are doing this together. And I know like when I met people at, festivals and saw them on stage i was rooting my friends on and if they crushed a solo i'm like that's my dude that's my guy right there like killing it you know so it's been a it really has been a team effort and we call our fan base the flock um, i love it part of our you know i mean our our the pigeon theme with his marketing and but yeah it's a pigeon theme and our like the flock is so supportive and we really feel like we're like you know making our way through this thing on their shoulders. And, and, and uh, we, if we book a cool gig, we, it does bring back that perspective of like all the years meeting people and, and hopefully they're able to come or be proud because we're proud. And, and uh, it, it's really, it's really been an incredible ride um, mm-hmm. that I didn't expect, you know, but once it started to shake out, like we're definitely doing everything we can from these albums to touring, like, every show like we we play with our utmost energy like 
I'm coming from New York. I always said from the start, like I would always like kind of pep talk the bands and they, the band and they agreed like, let's play this show. Like it's Madison square garden. Let's mm-hmm. play it. Like it's our last on earth. Like let's give it everything. And it, that has never failed to make every show so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not so much like worried if we're going to book red rocks or wherever, like the chips will fall where they may. All we need to do is throw it down every time. And like, if we're having fun, like the rest will come or it won't, but we're having a great time and trying to live our life to the fullest uh, mm-hmm. on stage and off. That's amazing. What would you say? Like, when did the ball start really rolling for, for the band? Like what was, I mean, you guys obviously finished college and then was it just like, okay, we're going to go get a job now. Or was it like the band's doing stuff? We should just tour. Like what, when did you decide like, this is working. We shouldn't, you know, pursue this as our, as our full-time thing? Well, when we graduated college, we did take jobs. Um, you know, some were odd jobs, some were like more legitimate jobs. Um, but we also started touring like outside of uh, uh, Maryland into like the neighboring areas like DC, Virginia, maybe like trickle into the Carolinas, like slowly making our way out regionally. And we were doing this on you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if we could swing it or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we would go back to work. And we were really starting to burn the candle at both ends because we were, you know, like not getting sleep for when we got back to work. And then the shows like we're, you know, at this point, of course, we're like loading in and ourselves and, and uh, playing all night and we're sleeping on fans floors and, and, you know, couches and crashing at houses and, you know, having a great time before going to sleep and, 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 you know, driving ourselves to the next one. And it really became like evident after maybe a year or so that mm-hmm. like having the jobs wasn't too sustainable. Okay. And, uh, but you were obviously seeing a growth with the band or you wouldn't have continued. Yeah, think. we were seeing, you know, we were the more you, we were playing, the more we were like kind of putting on a, you know, a, a hell of a show early on with especially being like 21 and absolutely full of energy, which I think mm-hmm. I still think we have that energy for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were getting a following. We were booking gigs and we were eventually we were able to like string enough dates together throughout the year to like maybe support a very like poor lifestyle. <laughs> you know, I, I slept on a mattress on a floor for years um, and just like, you know, barely scraped together enough money for food, truly. Um, but I was having the time of my life. And mm-hmm. eventually, I think about a year, year and a half after college, we, we all took the leap um, and started touring full time. And really haven't looked back since and you know i'm so grateful it kind of worked out where i now have a bed frame Um, wow you know (laughs) uh, you know i'm not as worried where my you know next meal will come or if i'm paying rent or or now a mortgage you know being a musician um so yeah i i I mean there were a few different like it's hard to pinpoint a turning point because everyone wants it to be like this like overnight thing but right. we were playing 200 shows a year for many years. And eventually, like we started graduating to bigger venues and, you know, we started to put, you know, kind of climb 
up the festival lineups from the smallest font to like the, you know, second smallest font to the middle mm-hmm. of the pack to now we're sometimes all the way at the top. And, uh, y- you know, those playing festivals have been huge for us because not only do we get to play in front of a million people, but like we talked about, we were able to connect with those people. Next time we're in your area, we'll crash at your place. And if they're so kind to offer and actually become friends and there are tons of people we've made uh, friendships with that have lasted throughout the years and uh, we kind of grow up together both on stage and as people you know it's wild to think back of when I met Jeremy with a guitar in my hand when I was 17 scared of like not having a friend at college to now we both have kids and we're been full-time musicians for over 10 years and uh, it's just wild to look back on it all and I'm excited for the future as well but I'm also trying to consistently train myself to just like look down at your feet and realize you're here right now and just, you know, Mm -hmm. focus on today. And, you know, we have band practice after this and we're going to write some songs and hopefully they like it. And uh, maybe some people will sing along in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You got a big tour coming up. Well, I want to talk about that, but I'm curious on um, like you guys have done this all without a record label, right? I mean, you self-released all your albums. Yeah, we've done it independent this whole time. Um, Our, you know, we met our manager. We so we played our college a bunch, and then we started playing some neighboring colleges. and And he went to uh, James Madison University down in Virginia, Harrisonburg. Mm -hmm. And we actually, literally, would go there to play his friend, like the house he lived at, his friend's basement. He, we would play in his basement and it would, and it was huge for us. Like, even like, you don't need to play on stage at the local spot to, you know, get some fans and have some fun. And we used to go, those parties in his basement raged so hard. Like they were, you know, some of the most important gigs early on for us. Mm-hmm. And that's where we met him and uh, kind of have like a, not a built-in fan base, but like a fan base that's going to be there. Like people just showing up to a party like, oh, so-and-so's having a party. Let's just go down there. And then, yeah. oh, there just happens to be this band playing. That's rad. Exactly. It was kind of like a built-in crowd. It was almost a smarter move at the time than to try to play like the bar and promote ourselves and people right. have to go pay to go. Have like, to pay five, bu- whatever it is, even a few bucks, were, but just to get them out of the house to get there versus yeah, they were, just showing they were, to a party. They were paying for the keg anyway. So they were coming downstairs anyway. And and we uh, were still friends with a lot of those people. And our manager has been with us ever since that was eight eight plus years since he officially managed us and we've been able to release these albums independently and we're also i mean you know now we could look around because like you know we've we've been slowly climbing the ladder so to speak or or Mm -hmm. you know more more so like people are starting to care at all what we're putting out you know it was easy on in the beginning to just like record these albums and uh get them out there as best we could without like that much, you know, much stakes involved or anything. It was just kind of a fun project. Mm -hmm. And uh, now like my manager has partnered with another great guy and they have this group called 1111 uh, group and they have a ton of great acts like uh, O'Teal Burbage and Twiddle and uh, Corey Wong and uh, amazing acts. And they have, uh, we work with, um, it is a label this, this go around. So I guess, Okay, so this is the first time you really release something with a label. I suppose so. Um, I'm not as intimately involved with that that decision process, but yeah, I guess uh, 
secretly the label is helping us get this one out for the first time okay. but it's all in-house within our uh, longtime manager so it feels very mom and pop still to me that's awesome um so okay i'm curious you said 200 shows a year then the pandemic hits and there's zero shows like what i mean obviously it was tragic on many levels but to kind of were you touring that heavily in up to 2019 and early into 2020 no i'd say we did about 200 shows a year for about five years or so and then once you start you know booking bigger venues or more so even like bigger festivals they add what's called a radius clause where they don't oh right to like play the festival down the street the next day they want everyone like all of our fans to go to their go to the show yeah even i I, yeah i I know what you're saying so like essentially if you were to play like coachella i guess that's the biggest example because i'm from southern california originally Oh, cool! like you couldn't play la or san diego or i think san francisco might have been the cutoff because i remember seeing like uh, miles like it would be like 200 within you can't play yeah any of these cities within 250 miles with like a month before or a month after the event because they didn't that, want your draw to go away from the sh- yeah the they don't festival be like, I'll set down the street next week i don't need to go to this event and spend um, so x hundreds of dollars and- <laughs> the, the reason i bring that up is because back in the day we would play like four festivals a weekend we would and and sometimes in the same state you know we would play wow. thursday friday saturday sunday and bounce around um once we started climbing up that festival ladder a little bit, they were, they asked us to be more selective and that started to like trim down our dates to maybe 150 a year. And then nowadays, or at least pre pandemic, we were floating around a hundred, 110 shows a year. That's maybe still, a that's a less. lot of shows, especially with that's not like all the travel days and, you know, yeah. we're for like probably half the year at minimum. Um, we love it though. Um, but we can go into work life balance. Um, in a bit but um so we were we were i mean we had an amazing summer lined up for 2020 that got kind of canceled along uh-huh. with you know the nba and everything else um, <laughs> sure you know? and i it it, uh, it really made me realize like how much i almost like rely on that live energy as a part of my happiness you know like i i it, it, i equated it to like if you're addicted to running and then you were told you weren't allowed to exercise anymore, you lose that runner's high that like is part of your like life force. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of adjusting and introspection to realize that like, while it is amazing that I love playing live, I love my, I can't believe it's my job. Like this is like my, one of my favorite, possibly my favorite thing in the world to do. I mean, it is for sure playing Mm -hmm. live. It's also important to realize that like, I can't depend on that to prop up my overall happiness as a person. Like I need to be happy as me, whether there's shows or not. And I, I, I learned that uh, over the past couple of years. Um, I also had the incredible opportunity and obviously like the pandemic, it goes without saying was a lose for so many reasons. And sure. it goes out to anyone who lost anyone, got sick. I mean, it was just terrible, but in my personal world, my daughter was born during the pandemic. My Congratulations. Daughter, that's, thank you. But I mean, that, I'm curious on that. I keep, I keep saying that, but I'm, uh, I have a, a six-year-old this month, later this month, and oh, cool. an older son as well. But like having your daughter during the pandemic, was it like weird restrictions where you couldn't be there? Or like, I wouldn't even know how that would, they would operate that. 
you know, no, uh, you know, I was there for the birth and everything like that. Okay, they weren't um, weird about that. No, um, oh, that's but, good. Well, um, but we it was so. There's two sides of having a baby in the pandemic. For and as a touring musician, what I see the most is that I cannot believe I was home alt- virtually the entire first year of her life. I that's never amazing. Thought I would get that ever. I mean, I love touring. I know it comes with some sacrifice. Um, namely on the home front, like for my Mm -hmm. wife and now my family, like I am not here a lot. And, you know, it makes me make the most of it when I am here, but I never thought I would get this time to watch her grow every day and be there for the milestones. I was there when she took her first steps. I I heard her like put piece together words, you know, I'm watching her hair grow by the centimeter, you know, I I never thought I would be there for that. So I'm incredibly grateful for it. The flip side of it is that we were sanitizing every single thing that came into our house. Oh, like crazy people. And, you know, granted you, you do with it, however you want. We went, on the we would rather err on the side of caution than regret like taking right i'd rather regret being too cautious than regret taking it so we were like when we got our groceries it was a huge like delousing process of like you know spraying it with this high power disinfected letting it sit for five minutes then hand wiping it all down meanwhile got to keep the baby away from it keep the dogs away from (laughs) it put it away like it, it like i dreaded going to the grocery store (laughs) was going to be like a ordeal all day ordeal right yeah (laughs) Uh, so we were certainly you know first-time parents are typically paranoid and that throw a pandemic on top of it we were I'll, i'll be the first to admit that we were pretty paranoid about it but again i wouldn't trade uh you know seeing my daughter grow up for the world and it's especially easy to say that now that music is back and i'm back on tour and i get that Mm -hmm you know, person to person experience. I mean, we all, you know, for those two years, we started doing live streams. Uh, we throw a music festival that had to be canceled one year, but we, we did it virtually instead. Awesome. Uh, and uh, then the, the following year in 2021, we did it in person, but in those pods where everyone had their uh, own personal yeah. space square wouldn't leave and <laughs> masks and it's nice to it, it, it nice is an understatement to see like normal kind of concerts coming back and the energy in the crowd has been nuts because everyone missed it so much ourselves included so like all of us are just like let's make the most of this like we're back like this is incredible <laughs> like tour has been awesome it's been so we just did a three-weeker out west we're about to go through the southeast uh in support of the album and it's been we got a great summer lined up. We're playing Red Rocks. Our festival is back for the first time in now three years in a normal full a normal setting. <laughs> yeah, it's coming up in May. It's called Dome Fest. That Where do you guys do that at? This year it's in Ohio. We've had oh. a few different locations. It's my my uh, guitarist started the festival. He he produces it, produced it since day one, and it was kind of like a project his senior year of college. He got some funding wow. from a student group and threw like a one day, one night rager. It was $5 and free beer. It was so much fun. Oh, um, wow. That's a deal. It, it was, I mean, even if you didn't yeah. like the bands, $5 yeah. for free beer. Dude, it was incredible. And, uh, that one day, one night experiment has blossomed into a full blown music festival and pigeons has been able to like headline the event now as we've, you know, kind of gotten the chops to do it and uh so it's all of our like closest fans and friends coming together 
Um, I call it like the cream of the flock who come. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, Love it. you know, we we're, we're playing like six sets this year, but this year we also kind of upgraded the lineup quite a bit. We have Lotus and uh, a wow. bunch of other amazing jam bands like Spafford and Sun Squabby and uh, Star Kitchen, which has uh, members of the Disco Biscuits. And uh, there's a side project of the band Goose, who we we had open for us before the pandemic and uh, right into the pandemic. And now they are just absolutely crushing venues all over the country. They're playing like sold out Red Rocks, Radio City Music Hall. Like they're just killing wow. it. It's amazing to see that band explode. And uh, they've played Dome Fest in the past too. And one of the cool things about Dome Fest, which I've helped produce for the past six years now too with Jeremy, is uh, we're able to give back to bands who need that crowd in, in the early stages, just like we did when we were handing out stickers, you mm -hmm. know, like we were talking about. So it's really come full circle to, you know, we know firsthand how important it is to have a festival that music fans actually check out the early bands and then go and see them when they're in their town after the festival. So we really promote that by having no overlapping sets at the festival. Everyone sees the same bands at the same time. And that gives each band a real shot to like steal the show and make some fans. We encourage them to go out in the crowd and hang out and hand out their stickers and like make friends. <laughs> so when they're when they come through, you know, each person's area, the, those, those folks come out and support them. So it's been amazing to watch some of these bands like Goose, who played our festival, go on to like sell out Radio City Music Hall in like a day. Like it, it's That's amazing so to have a small part of their story. And it feels like very reciprocal because mm -hmm. we've, you know, come up through the ranks in a similar fashion elsewhere. Yeah. And I mean, you guys are doing huge things too. Red Rocks, obviously. Uh, I was just looking at your early tour schedule. Like I'm from San Diego. You guys played the observatory, which is a fairly big, I mean, it's a big venue there. Great. It was cool. It looked awesome. Yeah. And it's the kind of the coolest aesthetic in as far as the venue goes there. And then you're doing two, I'm in Nashville now and you're doing two nights of uh, the Brooklyn Bowl. Yep. Which is crazy i'll yeah. come to the second night the first night's my son's sixth birthday as we we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, awesome awesome we'd love to have you out we'll, we'll connect are you staying in in the city well because we have two nights there we're gonna fool around in nashville i'm hoping to like pop by in some of these music stores and I, we might be able to like you know tbd on if we can like you know stream from one of the shops and but we love nashville it's such a music town yeah um, and it's cool because like all of these venues like they're starting to get bigger I and mean, they have you know depending on how long we've played in these areas but we started in the smallest of small venues i mean san diego we played at the casbah have you ever been oh that's my that's my all-time favorite venue in san diego yeah. but Not um um, no, I think it's a 200 capper little bar, yeah, but, but I think it iconic, man. I mean, Nirvana played there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, Nirvana, no doubt. <laughs> White like, stripes, Foo Fighters, like yeah. yeah. We all we all like kind of pay our dues, and and again, like we played that show like it's Madison Square Garden. We played the Observatory years later like it's MSG. Yeah. And that way, uh, if we ever do go back there, uh, uh, we'll be ready. We actually did. In one of the crazier things we've ever done, we got to play a halftime show at Madison Square Garden for a Knicks game. Whoa, was, that's that's uh, crazy. Before you go too crazy, it was eight minutes long, but but it's it still a halftime show at the Knicks game. 
Yeah. I mean, coming from New York, that was like a total pinch me mo- moment, like just being able to walk on the court and seeing their locker rooms and like having Man. laminates that say MSG and pigeons playing ping pong. It was totally surreal. Like we got to drive our little van into the garden. It was so cool. So I, and I just, I only bring that up because we've been saying, let's play this like it's MSG. And then we finally, when we were ready to play, MSG, we were ready. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I guess let's just play this. You know, <laughs> we've, we've been let's training for this. Play this. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. But yeah, it, it is amazing. Like some of these venues we're playing, like we were supposed to play the Tabernacle in Atlanta and uh, that show got canceled right before, uh, like three days before it, when the pandemic hit back in March, 2020. So it's been over two years in the making to finally play that epic room. And all these shows are, are great. But again, like, Put me in your basement, dude. We'll have a great time. Like, I just want to play. It's like such an outlet for all of us. And uh, it's, it's, you know, that, that has never changed. And I don't think ever will. I love it. Well, you're more than welcome to cruise over, man. <laughs> You'll be in town for two days. So, um, and you're doing Bonnaroo, which hopefully I'll be able to see you at as well. You're doing Saturday Bonnaroo, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, and, late night. It, it's, yeah. We've, we've been honored to play Bonnaroo before late night. And it is crazy i mean and it's so funny it's such a big festival that like you could have an enormous crowd and then behind that enormous crowd is just like people walking to like different stages and while i'm playing i'm always like i'm gonna make those guys stop and join stop. <laughs> you're not gonna get to the stage you're, you're trying to go to and that's the beauty of bonnaroo like i that's love awesome. overlapping sets but it's also fun when you can pick and choose and on your way stop and find a check new somebody out so, right it's always a challenge to like, oh, I'm going to make this. You know, you, you have that one with the hula hoop. She's not getting to the show she wants to. She's coming to us. <laughs> I love it. Well, Greg, man, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Uh, I can't wait to see you here in Nashville and then at Bonnaroo. I'll catch your set there as well. But um, one last question for you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Sure. Well, and thank you so much for having me, man. I, uh, Anytime. I, I enjoy the podcast. I listened to, uh, the green sky episode. Oh, cool. Um, and oh, he was great. About, he's, he's a, he's a trip, man. I, I don't know Anders that well. So it was cool to hear him, hear him. Talk he's very about. dry. Like yeah. in, he, he got me a couple of times where I'm like, uh, he's either messing with me or he like immediately hates me off the bat. Right. <laughs> I think he prefaced that where he, if you don't know him well, you could think he's a dick. I didn't right. think he was a dick. No, 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 no. no. I, was, I think I was able to sw- uh, sway him throughout the episode. And then like, it was cool to see he, he like gets the text of oh, being on the cover right. of that magazine. I mean, like that was what timing. Unbelievable. <laughs> But his alarm also went off at the start of the interview, which was rough timing. I guess you were early. You, uh, <laughs> rookie, rookie move. You got to set the alarm 10 minutes before and turn that puppy off. But so, I love that's the beauty of it. That's why I lo- love doing this podcast, because I came from radio where it was like so strict with uh, making sure everything sound ridiculously polished and the little things like that make this so much more fun for me and hopefully well, enjoyable to people watching like, oh, that's awesome that his alarm just went off like why not (laughs) well for aspiring musicians i would say make sure your alarms are off when you do a (laughs) podcast interview step one um you know like there's a my main advice is to have fun doing it you know and don't like like be patient like you know you it's all about the journey not the destination if you can make it about that and you can have fun doing it like it will come when it comes in terms of you know the dream you have in your head 
But if you are, you know, genuinely enjoying yourself during the process, it's never work. It's never like, you know, you're right where you're supposed to be. Um, I also would say like, well, it's, you know, yes, it's all about fun behind the scenes. It's work like, 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 and by work, I just mean like practice your instrument, take lessons from people, you know, talk to other musicians, be a sponge, you know, uh, and, and when you're playing with other people, like you practice at home. So once you're live, you can just like flow with it. Don't practice on stage while you're playing. Like, you know, listen to each other when you're jamming and uh you know like support the music around you you make choices on stage that help your bandmates not what not it's not an opportunity to show all the homework you did like it's like hey look how fast i can play it's you know if would playing fast right now help elevate the group sound, then do it. You know, if, if, if playing slow does or doing something like easier to help highlight another member, do that. Um, so ultimately, like, you know, make the most of your opportunity, uh, work your butt off and then just don't take yourself too seriously and have fun doing it because life is about enjoying the moment. So like, don't get cut off in the caught up in the future or the past. Just like live in the now, give it your best. Give yourself a break and enjoy it.